you bow with me in prayer? Father, as we come to this time in our service where we have sung the truths of Scripture and now we get to study these truths of Scripture, Father, would you open up our hearts and minds or teach us all that you want to teach us. Help us to have teachable spirits. Father, help us not to put up walls between us and you. Father, help us to be softened by your spirit to your word. Father, we, we want to know you better. Father, we desire to know you more. Father, why wouldn't we? You're so glorious. And Father, your love for us is so deep. We can never plumb the depths of it, but Father, we want to try. We want to know you more. Because you have known us in such an intimate way by saving us from our sin. And so, Father, we ask that you would use this time in our lives for our good as we seek to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles open, hopefully, to 1 Peter. If not, go ahead and open that to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12, through 12, which is where we will be today. I was sharing with some folks earlier this morning about last night I saw where uh, a, a friend that I know had visited uh, Yosemite National Park and um, and uh, he was talking about one of the trails that he had hiked and, and uh, I had got interested in it. I enjoy hiking. I love the mountains. And, and uh, so I, I looked up online that particular trail at in Yosemite, and uh, and began to read a little bit about it, and they had a, a about a ten minute video where a park ranger uh, was describing this trail and and how to prepare for it and things that you would need, and and so I watched it as if I was headed there tomorrow, and uh, I'm not, uh, but but I, I I began to look at those pictures and the scenery, and and, and it's just beautiful. But have you ever looked at pictures of something and said, I want to go there and then got to go? And when you stand there, what do you say? The pictures didn't do it justice. Or maybe you go somewhere and you take those pictures and you go back home and, and, you, and you pull out those photos or your phone and you begin to scroll through those pictures and, and you say, it just doesn't do it justice. I wish, I wish you could have seen it. Which is the more privileged position? Me sitting at home on my couch looking at pictures of Yosemite National Park on my phone or my friend standing on top of the mountain taking it all in with his own eyes. Which is the more privileged position? It would be my friend, right? We would say that he had the more privileged position. I'm thankful that there's some technology like photographs and video where I can get a little taste of it, but... But it's nothing like getting to see it in person and understand in a more full and complete sense what that beauty actually looks like. Well, today we're going to read and study a passage from 1 Peter that teaches us about the privileged position in history in which we live. 
And this passage, I believe, has the goal of us being led to praise God for this position in history in which we live. So we're going to look at these three verses, verses 10 through 12 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Would you follow along in your copy of God's word as I read? Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. <clears throat> if you'll recall that uh, Peter is writing this, the Apostle Peter, and he's writing to what we learned in verse 1, are elect exiles, elect exiles of the dispersion. And we learned that these exiles are Gentile believers, and they belong to God, but they don't belong to the world in which they live. And so Peter's writing to help them learn how to live as a follower of Jesus in a world that is opposed to Jesus. I don't know of much that is more applicable to our lives than that. Learning to live as followers of Jesus in a world that is opposed to Jesus. Technology like we talked about might be a little different than it was in Peter's day. I, I don't think they quite had the, the ability to look on their uh, smartphone and see something that was on the other side of the planet. But the condition of the human heart has not changed. And we rebel against the Lord until God saves us from our sin. And when he does and we become followers of him, we live among people who are in rebellion against the Lord. And so we have struggles as followers of Christ in the same way that these first century believers had struggles as they sought to follow Jesus. And so as Peter writes this. And again, we could look at verse 13, and that's where we'll get to next week. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, he's going to get to this action part and going to stay there throughout the rest of this letter. But before he gets there, he wants to help them build a foundation for how to then live for Jesus. How to say the right things, how to how to know when to speak and when not to speak, how to return good for evil, how to how to make a defense for what they believe, how to endure persecution for the sake of Christ. And part of that foundation of living for Jesus is a heart that overflows with praise for Jesus. I believe what Peter's saying in this first section of chapter one is that the foundation of a life lived in obedience to Jesus is a heart overflowing with praise of Jesus. And Peter is giving these first century believers and us ample reason to praise God. We said that this is really uh, one sentence in the Greek from verses 3 down through verse 12. <clears throat> it's one sentence. And in this sentence, he is packing it, loading it up, it's like a wheelbarrow just loading it up, overflowing with reasons to praise God. Because he knows that his readers are going to need all of these reasons and be reminded of all these reasons over and over if they're going to continue to live for the glory of God in the world that is opposed to God. And so in verses 3 through 5, we saw that we should praise God for giving us new life in Christ. In verses 6 through 9, 
And we saw that we should praise God for giving us a reason to rejoice in trials. And here in verses 10 through 12, we see that we should praise God for giving us a privileged position in history. Notice in verse 10, he begins this, uh, this section concerning this salvation. These words concerning this salvation. Well, what is this salvation that he is now referring to? Well, it's all of what he's written about in verses 3 through 9. All of what he's written about there in verses 3 through 9. Just scan your eyes back there for a moment and remind be reminded of this great salvation. God is great in mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. This is in verse 3. Through Jesus who rose from the dead, we have an inheritance that lasts forever in verse 4. We have a salvation that is ready to be revealed and it's being guarded and we're being guarded for that salvation in verse five. In verse six, we know that we're grieved by trials. But verse seven says that 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 those trials are testing the genuineness of our faith so that there'll be praise and glory and honor when Jesus comes back. And, and then verses eight and nine tell us that we are filled by this salvation with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory and that promise that we are obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And so, so that's what Peter is referring to when he says concerning this salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ and all the promises of salvation that are true in our lives now and those that are yet to be realized for us in the future. All of that concerning this salvation, he says, the prophets Whoa, Peter just took a turn in a different direction, historically, chronologically. He's been talking about the salvation that we have now. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He's been talking about the salvation that we will have, the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time, this outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. But now he turns the opposite direction. Instead of looking in the present and then into the future, he looks back to the past. And as he looks back to the past, he connects this great salvation that we have been studying about to what the prophets prophesied about in what is our Old Testament. In fact, what Peter is saying is that the prophets talked about all of those things in verses 3 through 9 concerning this salvation. Sometimes I, I, I get the question from occasionally, do we need the Old Testament? Do we need to, to read the Old Testament? I mean, we, we need to learn about Jesus and and he's the main he's the main one. And I say, yeah, absolutely. He's the main one. And we read about him in the New Testament. We don't even see the name Jesus um, in the Old Testament. Not really, not not as clear as we do in the New Testament. And so why don't we just stick with the New Testament? In fact, most of the time it's easier to understand anyways. But I think if we ask Peter that he would say, hey, read, read verse 10 through 12 of my letter to the elect exiles in the dispersion. We need to go back to the prophets. We need to read about it. We need to study about it because everything you said is true. We want to learn about Jesus. And Peter would say, go to the Old Testament. You want to learn more about the Messiah? Open up Genesis. Open up Numbers. Open up Isaiah. Open up Zephaniah. Open up the Psalms and the Proverbs. Open up First Chronicles. Go back to those and hear and see and learn and grow in your understanding about Jesus. 
I want to give you just a few truths regarding our privileged position. And, and there's two main points that we want to make today. We're going to compare our position to two groups. The first group that we want to compare our position to is the prophets. Our position is privileged compared to the prophets. I want to give you a few truth statements to go along with that. Notice what he does. He's comparing us to the prophets. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Notice what he says. They prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Notice the comparison. They spoke about a grace that was going to belong to you. They spoke about a grace that they, in a sense, didn't receive, at least not in the same way, with the same level of understanding that we would receive. So where the prophets foresaw, we possess. Where the prophets foresaw, we possess. They foresaw this grace. But this verse here in verse 10 says that it was to be yours, ours. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to those of us who lived on, live on this side of the cross. So they, they foresaw, they prophesied about this grace that was to be in the future, yours, and now we know what this grace is. It's an incredible grace. You see, the prophet's got a glimpse of it, but we see a fuller picture of how God is gracious. And he is gracious through his son and his son's death on the cross. They didn't grasp all of that. There were some prophecies, and we'll look at a few of those in a moment. That they, they didn't have their minds wrapped around. They didn't understand that the way God was going to show his grace was by sending his only son to die in our place. We'll talk a little bit more about how God is gracious in a moment through Jesus Christ. But they also um, they also didn't quite understand and grasp the, the scope of God's grace. We see a fuller picture of how God is gracious, but we also see a fuller picture of who God is gracious to. And we get hints about it in the Old Testament. But now we realize that God's grace is for all peoples. All peoples. They got a few hints of it. Joel chapter 2 verse 32 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Psalm chapter 117 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord all nations. Extol Him all peoples. Quoting from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, one of my favorite verses, says this. He says, it is too light or too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. In other words, that my grace may reach to the end of the earth. It's a light for the nations. Throughout the Old Testament, we have these glimmers, these these clues, these pictures that somehow Israel was not the extent of God's grace and mercy, that it would be for all the peoples of the world. But now we get to see that in a much fuller, richer sense. Even Peter himself. I mean, Peter got to be the apostle that God dramatically revealed this truth to in Acts chapter 10 when he had his vision and then encounter with Cornelius who was a Gentile. And Peter said, oh God, I'm not supposed to eat this food because it's the Gentile food. And God said, do not call unclean what I have called clean. In other words, Peter, 
What the prophets got a taste of and what they foretold, now you get to see in full. All the Gentiles, all the nations of the world are welcomed into my family through Jesus Christ. We get to see this fuller picture of the grace of God where the prophets foresaw we possess, but also where the prophets search, we understand. Where the prophets search, we understand. Notice what he says here at the end of verse 10 going into verse 11. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Where the prophets searched, we understand. We learn a couple of things about the prophecies that we read about in the Old Testament here. We can ask this question, where did these prophecies come from? Well, in one sense, they came from the prophets. Hold on, I'm going to finish that statement in a minute, okay? Don't tell me I'm wrong yet, because if I stop there, I would be wrong. But I'm going to finish that sentence in a minute. But let's start there. These were real humans with real thoughts. Notice that they searched and they inquired carefully, inquiring, searching, trying to figure out what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. How would they search out these things? Well, one is simply by having a heart that's searching for God, that's searching the truths of God. Psalm chapter 119, verse 2 says, says, Blessed are those who seek Him with their whole heart. And there was these prophets that, that were seeking after the Lord with their whole heart. But not only that, they just seek after God and say, God, we want to know more about you. We want to know more about this plan of salvation. But, but they also were able to search the Scriptures that have been written. Right? I mean, Moses wrote the Torah and then the prophets after him were able to look back on the Torah and search through those scriptures. Just as we might search for answers in the Bible, they had some scriptures, not as many scriptures as we have. Again, our privileged position, but but they had scriptures. For instance, I want you to think about this. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. This is part of the Torah. This is in the, one of the first five books of the Bible that all the prophets after would have had to look back on and to search. And I can only imagine some of those prophets, maybe, maybe Ezekiel, maybe Daniel, searching back and looking through and hearing this. Balaam, when he was supposed to be cursing the Israelites, the Lord opened his mouth and he only pronounced blessing upon the Israelites. And Numbers chapter 24 said this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now put yourself in Daniel's shoes for a minute. I mean, he's reading this. He's searching the Scriptures. And then he goes, God, what does that mean? How, how does that work? What does it mean that, that I see him, but not now? I behold him, but not near. So, someone's coming in the future, and it's going to be like a star, and he's going to come out of the tribe of Jacob, a scepter, okay? He's going to be a ruler. He's going to be a king, and he's going to come out of the nation of Israel. But who? How? What's it going to look like, God? And so they searched, and then the Lord was able to use them to give more clues and more clues and more clues and fill in more details and more details so that when the Messiah got here and God took the blinders off of their eyes, they were able to say, this is the one that the prophets prophesied about. But let me finish that statement. Where did the prophecies come from? Well, they come from real humans with real thoughts who have the Holy Spirit speaking in them. 
It's not merely the words of man. Notice who is doing the teaching and the the revealing, inquiring what person or time or occasion the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. This is awesome. Notice the Holy Spirit is in them, carrying them along, inspiring the words that they wrote, helping them understand It's the Holy Spirit, and He's called the Spirit of Christ. Connect those dots for just a minute. The prophecies are about Jesus, and Jesus is the one prophesying through the prophets about Himself. I love it. I love God's plan. Here is the Spirit of Christ in them, giving them clues about Himself, knowing that one day He's going to leave the glory of heaven and come down and fulfill all the prophecies that He gave to the prophets. I mean, that's our God. We can't write something this magnificent. We can't do it. We can't come up with it on our own. Sometimes we try and we'll fail every single time. And this is God's plan of salvation, the Spirit of Christ speaking in them. This is where the prophecies come from. But what do the prophecies speak of? Well, Peter summarizes it by really two words, sufferings and glories. Sufferings and glories. Sufferings of who? Well, we mentioned last week that there's a massive theme of suffering in this book. And most of the suffering, most of the times we see that word, is about Christians here in First Peter. Remember last week, we have reason to rejoice in our sufferings and our trials. But several times, the sufferings are about Jesus. It's not us who are suffering, it's Jesus. And we see this here again, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Well, where do we see this in the Old Testament? Where are those prophecies? Well, they're all over. We could spend a long time searching through the scriptures just like the prophets did and finding all of these prophecies. Can I just highlight a couple for you? Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22 says this. Remember, this is written thousand years before Jesus went to the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. I'm going to skip down. I'm going to just read a few verses in this psalm. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Sounds like the cross, right? This is a thousand years before. The psalmist is writing this in Psalm 22. He goes on, he says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count on my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And picture Ezekiel or maybe Zephaniah 
even David, singing that, quoting that, going, who really is this talking about? Who is this one who is pierced and who it seems like God has turned his back on him? They didn't know. They didn't know that this was talking about Jesus. We go to one other place. Isaiah chapter 52. We find these words. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Let's skip down to chapter 53 of Isaiah. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, the sufferings of the Christ. And I wonder, as Isaiah penned that, A real man with real thoughts, inspired by the Spirit of Christ. He just scratched his head and went, this is crazy. But I don't don't quite get it. I mean, what's this going to look like? Who is this going to be? How is this going to happen? But we know. Praise God, we know. Our position in history helps us know. Who this suffering Messiah, this suffering Christ, this suffering servant is. And it is none other than Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He talks about sufferings, but he also talks about the glorification. Notice that phrase, the subsequent glories. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The glories that come after the Messiah has first suffered. One writer said this. Glory is the goal of the Old Testament promises from the first oracle in the Garden of Eden. God promised victory over the serpent through the son of the woman. He goes on to say the message of the prophets pronounces God's judgment on the sin of his people, but it does not stop with judgment. The final vision of the Old Testament is not of dry bones in Death Valley. Rather, it is renewal beyond conceiving. I love how he worded that. Because we open up the Old Testament and you start reading. I've been reading through the Minor Prophets just in my personal time with the Lord. And it's full of judgment. It's full of God's wrath being poured out on His people. But all scattered throughout the judgments, there are these glimmers of hope. These glimmers that those dead bones will rise. This glimmer that God is going to bring them out of exile. These these clues that there is going to be this rescue and this restoration. And it's going to center around this one who in 
Psalm chapter 24 is called the King of Glory. Who is this King of Glory? He is the Lord of hosts. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one who rides in on a white horse and conquers the enemy and brings life and life everlasting to all those who belong to him. His name is Jesus. The prophets didn't know exactly who he is, but we do. We have a privileged position in history. Far be it from us to waste this opportunity that God has given us. We know who he is. Will we not believe in him? Will we not give him our lives? I mean, the prophets believed and they didn't even have the whole picture. We have the whole picture. And yet. I fear sometimes. I know. There are those who. Having the whole picture reject. They had faith in what they. did Not yet know. We know who this Jesus is. He is the suffering and yet glorified Messiah. If I could finish out chapter Isaiah chapter 53, can I, can I finish that? All those verses I just read, building up through his suffering to his death. And then we get to verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Here you go. Here's the glorification, the subsequent glories. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, there's the sufferings. He shall see and be satisfied. There's the glorification. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Here comes more glorification. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. That means he's the conqueror. He's the victor because he poured out his soul to death back to the sufferings and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes in the presence. He was dead. Now he's making intercession, which means he's alive. He makes intercession for the transgressors, the Messiah, the work that he did. The prophecies about him are centered around the sufferings and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what the prophets, the prophecies are about center stage is Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. But also. Peter kind of summarizes this thought, this truth about comparing us with the prophets. By saying in verse 12, a these words. It was revealed to them. That they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Where the prophets served, we received. Where the prophets served, we received. Have you ever thought about that? Stop and think. Haggai was serving you. Micah was serving you. Samuel was serving you. Jeremiah was serving you. Moses was serving you. We get the benefit. We receive where they worked and served. 
They were doing all this work. They were enduring so much persecution, working hard to write down these truths, to write down these little pieces of a much larger work without ever seeing the larger work completed in their lifetime. Luke chapter 10, verse 23 through 24 says this. Then turning to the disciples, he, that's Jesus, said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Jesus is telling his disciples this. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear. The prophets longed to see this Messiah, but they didn't get to see him. Yet they served faithfully. They gave their lives Many all the way to death so that you and I would know this Jesus who calmed the sea is the creator of the world. This Jesus who's hanging on a cross is the ones that the prophet said would be pierced and would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. This Jesus who triumphantly rises up from the grave is the king of glory, the victor, the one who has the spoils of victory that Isaiah prophesied about. They were serving you and they were serving me. We ought to be thankful for that. We ought to praise God for that. It's kind of like a lamp lighter. Who was blind. And he was out lighting all the lamps one evening. And he was tapping and feeling his way from lamppost to lamppost, bringing to others a light which he himself would never see. But he did it faithfully, knowing that there would be those who would be blessed by the light that they could see. The light is here. And His name is Jesus. And we have no excuse. We have a privileged position in history when compared to these prophets. But then there's this last phrase. There's this last phrase that that Peter just kind of throws in there. And I I think maybe I know the reason. Because it's kind of tagged on the end. He's been talking about the prophets and this good news of, of salvation has been announced to us through, through those who are preaching now with the prophets foretold. And then he says this, things into which angels long to look. Not only do we have a privileged position compared to the prophets, we have a privileged position compared to the angels. We have a privileged position compared to the angels. Well, why in the world is Peter just kind of Throw this there right on the end. Well, the Spirit inspired him to write that. Well, why? Let's think back to his overarching purpose for this entire passage. From verses 3 following down through verse 12, the goal is blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, that's what he says. The whole goal of this is praise. He's building up a foundation of praise. He says, praise God for your living hope, for the inheritance that you have. 
that is not fading away, that will last forever. Praise God for the salvation that's ready to be revealed and the fact that God is guarding you for that salvation. And nothing's going to steal it away from you. Praise God that you have these reasons to rejoice in trials that God is helping you see that your faith is genuine as you persevere and as you grow in your faith through the trials that you have. Praise God that you have this privileged position in history where the prophets foresaw and you get to experience all of this wonderful news, this good news about Jesus. You know who he is. Praise God. And it's almost like if Peter gets to the end of that, he says, and, and if that's not enough, can I just give you one more thing? You have a privileged position even compared to the angels. If, if you're not ready to praise God yet, if you're not excited about this good news of the gospel that he says in verse 12 has been preached to you, if you are not yet excited about that, let me fill you in on one more fact. Not even the angels understand what you understand. They long to look into these things. What are these things that the angels long to look into? I mean, I'm thinking the angels have a pretty privileged position I mean, they're the messengers of God. They are going to and from the very presence of God. How in the world am I in a more privileged position than them? Well, apparently they are longing to look into, to get a glimpse of, to understand, to wrap their minds around these things. What are these things? Well, this salvation from verse 10. All of all of the good news in verses three through nine, the fact that this was God's plan from the beginning. See, the angels don't understand that the angels, they're not God. They don't have the mind of God. What God has been doing throughout human history, the angels have just been his servants. God says, go say this and they go say that. God says, go do this. They go do that. God says, go defeat this army. They go defeat that army. But just like the prophets, they're just getting little pieces of clues. We are the ones who get to see the big picture. The angels are longing to look into this. Even in Ephesians chapter three, verse 10, Paul is talking about the mysteries of Christ, that the Gentiles are being included, we talked about earlier, in the promises of God. And he says there that as they are included through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The angels are slowly beginning to understand all that God has been doing throughout human history as they look at the church and see how the church surrenders its lives to Christ and then goes out and preaches this gospel to people from every nation, this grace that is free for all who would call upon the name of the Lord. And the angels are going, wow, did you know that? I I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that's what was happening back in Genesis. I didn't realize that's what was happening back in Judges. I didn't realize that's what was happening in the Psalms as David was writing those songs. I didn't realize that's what was going on with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi. Wow, look at this. Look at the goodness of God. Look at his grace that he would take sinners who deserve his wrath, send his son who we know to be the king to the earth to die for the sinners. And then he would draw the hearts of these sinners to himself, take the blinders off of their eyes, cause them to be born again to a living hope, help them live for him all of their lives on mission, sharing the good news with others 
seeing hardened hearts over and over softened by the good news of Christ. And promising them that the good work he started, he will bring to completion. The angels are just looking out of heaven going, man, this is awesome. Didn't know that. This is incredible. I want to get a better look. I want to get a closer look. We have that closer look. Praise God. Now, Peter's fixing to make a transition. And he's going to be real about how hard it is to live as followers of Christ in our world. And he's going to call us to a standard that can be summarized by nothing less than the word perfection. And so as we strive for perfection in our lives, there's going to be moments of discouragement. As we strive to live holy, set apart from the world, there's going to be moments of persecution. And Peter wrote this one long sentence in the Greek. This one long sentence. I mean, this long run on sentence. Starting in verse 3 all the way through verse 12. Ending with even the angels aren't as privileged as you are. So that they would have this massive foundation of praise for their lives. That no matter what comes their way, their heart would always be overflowing with praise. And here in verses 10 through 12, it's praise for our privileged position. Two things. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, I know many of you are, there is never a moment in your life when you do not have a reason to praise God. Never. No matter what happens. Never. Because nothing in this life No circumstances that you face can take away all of this foundation that Peter has given us in verses 3 through 12. It's yours, Christian. It's yours. This new life in Christ, this reason to rejoice in trials and this privileged position in history, nothing can change that. So, my encouragement for you, Christian, is even in a moment as we sing and there's this time of response, maybe you need to bow your head and say, God, overwhelm me once again with all the reasons I have to worship and praise You. And Father, this week, when I face trials of various kinds, remind me of my new life in Christ. Remind me that You're doing this work of purification in me Testing my faith. Remind me that I have a privileged position in history. And Father, even in the hard moments this week, Lord, by Your grace, help my heart to overflow with praise for You. Second thing. If you can't overflow with praise for God, because you've never trusted in this Jesus that the prophets prophesied about, then what you need to do is not just believe that some guys thousands of years ago said some things about a man and those things one day came true. 
That's called knowing things in your mind. It's called mental assent. Oh, I believe those things actually happened in history. You have a privileged position in history, not so that you would know interesting facts, but so that you would place your trust in this prophesied Messiah so that all of these blessings of salvation will be yours as well. And so if that's you today, if you know things about Jesus, but you've never trusted in this Jesus, I pray today that you have seen this big picture, this grand plan of salvation that God started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 where He promised to send a man born of woman who would destroy the serpent. And then He came and He went to the cross for your sin and He rose up from the grave. And He lives today to make intercession for you. Fancy way of saying that you'll be forgiven by trusting in Jesus. Christian, praise God every moment of every day. Non-Christian, trust in Jesus. You have no excuse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would do the work that only You can do in our hearts. Father, if there's someone here today who doesn't know You as their Lord and Savior, has never trusted Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Maybe they know things about Jesus, but they have never given Him control of their life. Father, today I pray that they would surrender to this One that the prophets prophesied about, who we get to know. We know who He is. We're not looking forward to His arrival. He has already come, but we know that He is also coming back one day, not simply as Savior, but as King of kings and Lord of lords, to take back with Him all those who have repented of their sin and trusted in Him alone for salvation. Father, I pray for salvation to come to this place today and to the hearts of those who need a saving relationship with You. Father, I pray that You would also soften the hearts of those of us who are Christians. Father, sometimes these these blinders come over our eyes and these, these, these hardening kind of happens in our hearts where we look at the things of this world and the circumstances of our life, and we forget that we have ample reason to praise you. Father, I pray for every follower of Jesus in this room that our lives would be marked by an overflow of praise. Father, no matter what's happening in our country, no matter what's happening in our community, no matter what's happening in our family, no matter what's happening in our individual lives, everyone we come in contact with would walk away saying, wow, that person is joyful. That person is overflowing with thankfulness. And God, it's because nothing that happens to us can take away the beauty, the glory of salvation. Father, we thank You for grace. We thank You that the Messiah suffered. We thank You that He rose and was glorified. Father, we thank you for the difference that makes in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.